Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. November 16 edition, PFT PM. Drive time information and analysis and just... More and more talk about the NFL. Can't get enough NFL. Even though ratings are down, the people who truly love football are still out there. You know who you are. People can come and go, but the folks who have been following the sport for, I don't know, 45 years like me, still hanging in there. Still intrigued, especially as the season heats up. We're going to do five down territory today because we don't have a guest today. And I couldn't really think of anything else to do. So... I decided to do five down territory. And actually, I'm going to do this in real time. This is multitasking. I am going to post on Twitter right now that I am taping the PFT PM podcast as, eh, let me, taping the PFT PM podcast. Ask a question if you have one. If not, stay silent. All right. Let's see if anybody has any questions. So five down territory and then some questions if anybody has some good ones. I want to start with this Rams-Vikings game. A couple of angles there. Unrelated to this Greg Olson controversy. You know where I stand on it. Fox shouldn't have assigned him to the game. Olson should back off. And he made some comment yesterday about, well, this is the world we live in. No, it's not the world we live in. The Vikings are legitimately concerned about Olson being present at the game, serving as essentially an advanced scout for the Panthers. It's an unfair advantage for the Panthers, and Panthers fans would feel that way if it were Vikings tight end Kyle Rudolph attending a Panthers game. Period. Period. That's not what I wanted to talk about. I want to talk about a couple of injury issues with the Vikings, Everson Griffin. Anyone who was watching the London game involving the Vikings and the Browns, saw at the very end Griffin was injured. And people were like, oh, what's wrong with Everson Griffin? And everybody said, oh, he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. They had the bye week. He's fine. He's fine. He didn't play last week. He now says his foot feels great and he'll be playing on Sunday for sure. We'll see. Because the Vikings definitely need him. Not that the defense is horrible without him, but with him, one of the best defenses in football. And the Rams haven't faced a lot of great defenses. When they have, they've struggled a little bit. Seahawks beat them in their own building. Washington, whose defense isn't really great, as evidenced by the 38 points surrendered to the Vikings, not juggernaut offense on Sunday. Washington beat them in L.A. as well. With Griffin, the Vikings defense even better, and it will be even harder for the Rams offense to continue what it's done all year. The other situation, and it started with an injury back in August of 2016. Now it's just awkward. Teddy Bridgewater is healthy and ready to go. Last game against Washington, backup, dressed, active. This game, at least at the start, same deal. And Bridgewater, one of the reasons everybody loves him, he's never going to say anything that would be regarded as improper. He isn't going to cry about his situation. He's not going to politic 
to get onto the field. He's just going to wait. He's going to get ready, and he's going to wait, and he's going to be confident that his turn will come. Look, he's already overcome odds far steeper than the question of if and when he gets on the field again. He told reporters on Thursday, I don't want this to be about me. It's about us. We're sitting in a good position right now, pushing for the playoffs, hopefully home field advantage or something like that, so you can't take attention away from that. His attitude is whatever happens, happens. He's going to continue to trust the process. And there continues to be a belief that at some point the Vikings are going to play that card. And it's only one card. You play it one time. And then you find out whether or not Teddy Bridgewater can come back and play at a high level. But you can't even try that card until Case Keenum starts playing at a level less than where he currently has been. And I argue with stats and Chris Sims on PFT Live all the time. That's why I like doing this podcast, because they can't say a damn thing to me. So shut up, both of you. The back-to-back interceptions from Keenum on Sunday at Washington were troubling. The first one was just kind of a, I'm just going to throw it up in the air and hope it lands on the ground. It landed in the hands of DJ Swearinger. The second one was Swearinger dumping a route, jumping a route, or dumping a route. We should change the name to dumping. That's the best way to cover up misspeaking. It's not jumping, it's dumping. Either way, picked it off and nearly scored. Keenum's hustle kept them from scoring a touchdown on that play. And nearly resulted in a touchback because of the most unfair rule in sports. But don't get me, don't, don't, I'm, I'm in a decent mood today. I'm at about a 6.5. Don't get me started on the dumbest, most unfair rule in sports. Or the mood drops to 2.5 quickly. It's already down to 6.2. So, back to the Vikings. I'm fascinated by this decision because it is going to make or break their season. And how far can Keenum really take them with Teddy Bridgewater hovering? I think back to the Vikings in 1998 when Randall Cunningham came in and had one of the great single seasons to date in league history after Brad Johnson broke his leg in week two. And Johnson was back and he was healthy. And Dennis Green, the late Dennis Green at the time, said Johnson will play when he's 100%. And he just never played again. Now, there was a point where I think Cunningham banged up his knee and Johnson came in and he was okay, but not so great that you absolutely stick with Johnson. So Cunningham stayed and stayed and stayed. And there was a point in the NFC Championship game where maybe they should have switched back to Brad Johnson. They didn't and they lost. That's going to continue to hover for the Vikings. If Keenum rides this thing out and carries them to the postseason, there's still going to be adversity at some point. It's got to happen at some point. This isn't going to be wire to wire. Vikings aren't going 14-2. and two. Case Keenum isn't going to carry them all the way to a Super Bowl victory. At some point, Mike Zimmer is going to have to get that... that feeling. He's going to have to process that impulse. He's going to have to know, is this the right time to move from Keenum to Bridgewater? And once you do it, you can go back, but you turn your quarterback situation into a mess and you successfully piss off everyone. And you've got Bridgewater, Keenum, and Sam Bradford all due to become free agents in 2018. And if you mishandle this thing, there's a chance you get none of them back unless you're willing to use the franchise tag on one of them. And I don't know that any of them will be performing well enough to justify the franchise tag. Maybe at most the transition tag, so you can match an offer that the guy gets elsewhere. But they got a steal with Keenum. I said weeks ago that they should extend Keenum's contract right now. 
and give him a deal that pays him extremely well to continue to be on the roster and gives him an opportunity to earn playing time. But is he going to be a franchise quarterback? I guess it's possible. Chris Sims and I argued today about how teams get it wrong all the time with quarterbacks. With Keenum, he'd been in the league. It's one thing to project what a college guy is going to do at the next level. It's another thing to know who a guy is at the NFL level and to anticipate or not an ability to all of a sudden change his game and become a great quarterback. Keenum's done that. He's not, I don't want to say great, very, very good, borderline great, had a near-perfect passer rating until his back-to-back interceptions. But this continues to be a fascinating story to me. And if the Vikings win this game on Sunday and move to 8-2, and two, I think Keenum's grip gets even stronger. If they lose, and if the Lions win in Chicago against the Bears, the Lions will be a game behind on Thanksgiving. When the Vikings go to Detroit, and if the Lions win there, a tie for first place in the NFC North with the Lions in first place because they will have completed the sweep of the Vikings. Tenuous ground. I think a loss, especially this week or next week, makes the ground tenuous for Keenum. Win both, and maybe he gets a chance to carry it through Atlanta and Carolina no matter what happens. We'll see. Fascinating time for the Vikings. And I think most people who follow the Vikings just have a deep sense that however it plays out, whatever the details... Whatever the specifics, eventually they're going to find a way to screw it all up in rather glorious fashion. In that same division, sorry, it's just, it's the truth. In that same division is the Green Bay Packers. And there's been some optimism emerging in recent days. A a sighting of Aaron Rodgers at practice. It's funny, the team's Twitter account had a picture of Rodgers doing rehab, right? He was kicking his feet up in the air. How in the hell is that rehab? What's rehab about that? Rehabbing a, a broken collarbone by being on the field, kicking your feet up in the air or doing whatever he was doing to get loose? It's not rehab. Now, maybe other stuff he did was rehab. Regardless, Rodgers moving toward a return. Rodgers possibly back by the end of the year. And if you look at the Packers record at 5-4, and four, they win the games they're supposed to win over the next several weeks, and if they can be in striking distance for the postseason for the final two games, when the Vikings come to town on December 23 and then the Packers go to Detroit on New Year's Eve day, and Rodgers comes back, they can get in. And if they do get in, they instantly become a dangerous team because of the presence of a franchise quarterback. We have seen teams, five seed, six seed, run the table. Typically, they do it when they have a great quarterback. Now, it's been a month and a day since Aaron Rodgers broke his collarbone. That was October 15, week six at Minnesota. He said in a text message to Jason Wildey of ESPN Wisconsin, the schedule hasn't changed. Out eight weeks, only back if it's completely healed. So, we're already at four weeks. This Sunday is five weeks. Week eight is December 10. That's against the Browns in Cleveland. Only back if it's completely healed. Well, will it be completely healed in eight weeks? 13 screws to hold a displaced collarbone fracture together. And remember when he broke his collarbone 
four years ago, there was that constant, is he ready? Is he ready? Is he ready? We went through that with Tony Romo a couple years ago. Is he ready? Is he ready? And remember, Romo came back, and what did he do? He broke his collarbone again. But maybe he comes back for the Panthers game. December 17. Maybe they could steal that one. They'd be in great shape if they could steal that one. Let's look at these games. Ravens this week at home. I think Baltimore's going to win, but if the Packers win that one, 6-4. and four. At Steelers, we know the Steelers are capable of laying an egg, but primetime 31-16 under Coach Mike Tomlin, there's a loss. So let's call that, assuming they win on Sunday, even though I've picked the Ravens. I'm trying to have some fun with this. That would be 6-5. and five. Buccaneers come to town, 7-5. and five. At the Browns, 8-5. and five. That's when it gets interesting. Now you can lose to the Panthers and be 8-6. and six. And still have a chance. Week 16 and 17, you win the last two games, you go 10 and 6. Now, I don't know how the rest of the NFC is going to shake out. We've seen teams win 10 games or 11 games and not make it to the playoffs. And, and sometimes someone with a lesser record gets in by winning a bad division. But 10 and 6 or 11 and 5, that should get the Packers a date to the dance. And, and who knows, based on what the Vikings and Lions do, maybe the Packers can still win the division. So... We just assumed it was over for the Packers when Rodgers got hurt. Maybe it's not. An intriguing wrinkle and a key piece of that, the ability of Aaron Rodgers. Well, the ability, excuse me, of Brett Hundley to lead the Packers to a victory on Sunday against the Ravens. I think that's a key starting point because you lose that one and fall to five and five. It just gets a different vibe altogether. Very different vibe altogether. That was second down. I didn't I didn't yell out second down. I apologize. First down was the Vikings talk. Second down was the Packers talk. Third down, Jimmy Garoppolo and the San Francisco 49ers. John Lynch, the GM of the team, the guy who pulled off the trade last month that brought Garoppolo to the Patriots, surprised everyone because everybody thought the Patriots had their thumb on the scale with Garoppolo. The problem is they knew that their window for trading Garoppolo had closed because Garoppolo had made it clear that he was going to leave via free agency and the Patriots weren't going to use the franchise tag. So get something while you can get it, short of waiting for a compensatory draft pick in 2019. They got a second-round 2018 pick, which will be a high second-round 2018 pick, but Garoppolo is yet to play. And even now that they're in their bye week, there's no guarantee that Garoppolo is going to play on the other side of it. Said John Lynch, the GM of the team, we know what we like about Jimmy Garoppolo, and that's only been strengthened by the time that he's been here. We're just going to let these things play out. That's in Kyle's hands. People have had all these ideas about why we got Jimmy. We got Jimmy because we think he has big-time ability at the quarterback position. And we believe so much to get where we need to get, you have to have a franchise quarterback. We think he's got that ability. Whether that happens, when that happens, we'll see. But we certainly like his future with the 49ers. They're going to work hard during this week to get him up to speed, but right now we don't need him. C.J. Beathard just played a great game, and his teammates really believe in him. We think it's nothing but a good situation. Well, it's not a good situation. It's the old good problem to have. I, I still feel like the trade for Garoppolo was an effort by a team that hadn't won a game to win something. At first I thought it meant that they had quickly decided that C.J. Beathard isn't the guy. But you know what? Maybe he becomes the guy. Maybe he grows into that roll with more reps. Maybe he finds a ceiling that no one thought he had. They believed enough of him to make him a third round draft pick, right? Right? So the thing about Garoppolo 
represented by Don Yee. And there, there's a, a thought out there in league circles that Yee, who never quite made what he could have made with Tom Brady because Brady cuts his own deals directly with the Patriots and he consistently takes dramatically less than he's worth. Dramatically less. He's worth $35 million a year. Maybe $40 million a year. I mean, if Brady wanted to drive a hard bargain with the Patriots, how much could he really get? A hell of a lot more than he's currently getting. The thinking is that with Garoppolo, Yee's going to make some of that money back. And the easiest thing to do... And remember when he... He arrived in trade. There was a report that said, well, they may soon launch contract negotiations with him. Yeah. Garoppolo's got nothing to gain by talking contract now with the 49ers. Nothing at all. Especially if he's not playing. See, the one way you soften Garoppolo up to maybe do a contract is you put him out there on the field behind a crappy offensive line. Then he's got injury risk. Then you have to weigh that. Hey, Jimmy, guess what? Good news, you're playing the last seven games. Bad news, you're playing the last seven games. There's no injury risk if you're on the bench. He's in the same situation he was in in New England, and there's no reason for him to do a contract. There's no reason for him to do a contract until the 49ers either apply or don't apply the franchise tag. I mentioned this earlier, but I can't emphasize it enough. There is a strong sense among the agents who get it that given what we now know about the franchise tag, and look, you can complain about the CBA, you can complain about this and complain about that, but the franchise tag currently is a good thing for players because the way it's been calculated, the new formula under the 2011 CBA, makes it higher than the market for most positions. It's a good, healthy payday. The market for Jimmy Garoppolo, would it be $23 million? And That's what the tag's going to be. The market for Le'Veon Bell, would it have been $12.1 million or whatever that was if he hit the open market? I doubt it. And the Steelers are getting their money's worth, given how much they're using him. I guess they figure he's gone next year. We may as well get it now. Garoppolo could still be gone. And if I'm Garoppolo, specifically if I'm Don Yee, I say to Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy, whatever we do, we wait until the 49ers either apply or don't apply the franchise tag whenever the deadline is, two weeks before the start of free agency. Make them apply the tag. It's in your long-term career interest to have the tag applied to you as often as possible. Because the second time it's applied, regardless of how many different teams you play for, the second time it's applied by anyone, you get that 20% raise over your cap number from the last year of your contract. And the third time it's applied, if you're not a quarterback, you get quarterback money or... If you are a quarterback or if your numbers go up this high, you get a 44% raise over your most recent cap number. So that's why ultimately Kirk Cousins didn't even come close to doing a deal with Washington before they applied the franchise tag the second time. There is no reason to not absorb the tag. Garoppolo needs to take the tag. And then you do a deal. Unless the 49ers don't tag him. But then they have like two weeks to work something out before he can go somewhere else. And they have to be ready for the risk that he goes somewhere else. And they better have a plan B. And maybe C.J. Beathard is the plan B. So the 49ers have voluntarily wandered directly into quicksand when it comes to Garoppolo. And they know it. And they're sinking. And they are confident that a vine is going to emerge at the right time. And they're going to pull themselves out of it. And everything's going to work out. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. Fourth down. All this talk about John Gruden returning. It's been centered on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I had a thought today during PFT Live. And the more I think about it, the more intrigued I am by it. John Gruden didn't only coach the Buccaneers. 
John Gruden was the head coach of the Raiders before he was the coach of the Buccaneers. And the Buccaneers gave up like two first-round picks and cash and I think even second round pick or two. I don't know. They gave up a lot to get him as he was entering the final year of his contract in Oakland. I love Jack Del Rio. I loved him as a player. I love him as a coach. I don't love what the Raiders are doing this year. And if they get blown out on Sunday by the Patriots, the year that the Raiders are supposed to be ready to challenge the Patriots, what does Mark Davis think? What does he do? And is he influenced by... The idea that John Gruden's coming back. It feels like he's coming back this year. You know, people say, oh, it's every year John Gruden. No, no, it's not every year that John Gruden flirts with coming back. It's been a few years. Early in his time with ESPN on Monday Night Football, it felt like it happened every year. And coincidentally, every year he got a new contract with ESPN. And they'd always announce it in December, just as the rumors were heating up. And they'd call it an exclusive contract blah, 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 and I'd ask them, does that mean that there's a clause in the contract that prevents him from leaving to coach again? And they never answer that question, which means, yes, there's a clause in there that lets him leave, or or at worst, they would let him leave if he says, I want to go coach. That hasn't happened for a few years. Gruden hasn't been linked to any jobs for a few years. Now, all of a sudden, he's talking about it. And Ira Kaufman was on PFT Live recently, and he said that Gruden misses Mike Tirico, nothing against Sean McDonough, although, yeah, if you, if you miss the old guy, that means the new guy hasn't done enough for you to make you forget about the old guy. So, I mean, it's like saying, I miss my old girlfriend. Well, if you, everything was great with your new girlfriend, you wouldn't be missing your old girlfriend, right? So I, I think that Mark Davis may realize, you know what? We got one more year in Oakland. See, that's the key. Marshawn Lynch was the elixir to the next to the last year in Oakland. He was the fix for the awkwardness because you still got to spend the year in Oakland. And you know what? They still may have 2019 where no one knows where they're going to play. If they bring back Gruden, they can stay in Oakland for two more years and then go to Las Vegas. And maybe if Gruden is the coach of the Raiders when they go to Las Vegas, maybe the fan base holds together even more tightly and follows the team to Las Vegas. If I'm Mark Davis, I'm at least thinking about that. Because if I ever want to have a shot at John Gruden, now may be the time. Because this guy may be coming back to the Buccaneers and my shot is going to be gone. And ultimately, even though these guys are ultra rich and powerful, I think Mark Davis is probably more of a normal human, even to, notwithstanding the haircut, all due respect. But I think that, that he can relate more to the way that normal people think than some of these other hard-crusted billionaire types. And I think... Davis may be susceptible to that same human reaction we'd all have. If there's something that maybe we want at some point and we know that it's going to go away, you know, if there's that car that you've been eyeing and you're not sure, yeah, I kind of like that car and maybe I'll buy that car and maybe I'll, maybe after the next paycheck I'll look at that car and then you hear somebody else is thinking about buying like, hey, I want that car. Whoa, 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 no, 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 I want that, that, hey, 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 get away from my car. Just, I'm just saying. I'm not putting Jack Del Rio on the hot seat. I'm not saying he should get fired, will get fired, could get fired. Well, I guess I am. I'm just, I'm fascinated 
by how Mark Davis is going to assess the situation as the momentum builds toward John Gruden returning to the Buccaneers and as the Raiders continue to sink toward what very well could be a season without a playoff appearance when a playoff appearance was presumed. Fifth down. Mark Maskey of the Washington Post reported earlier today that there's an unnamed owner who has basically laughed off the possibility of NFL owners trying to strip Jerry Jones of his franchise if he doesn't quit causing trouble for the league. More public trouble than private trouble. They don't have a problem with him raising his concerns through normal channels and exercising his right to dissent and object. But when the dirty laundry gets aired out, when Papa John's is instigated to disparage the NFL, when reckless threats of lawsuits are being made, then that's when the owners get upset. And they are upset. They're very upset. Look at some of the language of the letters that have been sent to Jones' lawyers. Now, to have one unnamed owner, and here's the thing, unless we know who the owner is, what if it's the owner in the town where the Washington Post is headquartered? Dan Snyder is on board with Jerry Jones. Dan Snyder is Jerry Jones' strongest ally in this anti-Gadell push. So, unnamed owner doesn't tell me crap about how credible this is. It's one person's opinion, and we don't know whether that person is aligned with Jones or not. We know there are other owners who are aligned with Jones. We don't know whether the owner who brushed off talk of trying to strip Jones of his franchise is aligned with Jones or not. If, if it was somebody who is clearly against, if it was Arthur Blank, if Arthur Blank says, there's no way we're going to go after Jerry Jones' franchise, then I would say, there's no way they're going to go after Jerry Jones' franchise. Anybody else? I don't know. Uh, let me say this, Arthur Blank or anyone on the compensation committee, because those are the guys who are the most pissed off at him. Anybody else? I don't know how to evaluate it, because I don't know whether or not that person agrees with Jones. And for some of them, I know I know the names. I know the short list. And I look, I know Snyder's name's already been out there. I've heard a couple of other names. It's not corroborated, not confirmed. I get called reckless and loose with information all the time. I, I'm not going to mention the names of the other owners without corroboration. But there are four or five who are with Jones. And if one of those is the one that spoke to Mark Maskey off the record, then it doesn't surprise me. And and listen, what's sensitive about that, saying we're not going to go after his franchise? Put your name on that. I could see not putting your name on, maybe we will go after his franchise. I don't know why you wouldn't put your name on, no, we're not going after his franchise. And, and why would you take that option off the table? You don't know what Jerry Jones is going to do. If you take away the fear of losing his franchise, he may decide to do anything he wants. He'll sue you. He'll instigate Pepsi and whatever other sponsor he can to disparage the NFL, to get his way. Scorched earth policy. Lying to the media if he has indeed been telling something other than the truth. And the NFL believes that somebody lied to ESPN about the demands made by Roger Goodell. So you take the nuclear option off the table and you basically say to Jerry, do whatever the hell you want. Yeah, yeah, maybe there'll be a small fine. And, and that's the other thing that makes me very skeptical of this report. The owner said he'd have to pay legal fees if he sues and loses. And we reported Sunday night on NBC that could be more than $10 million easily. And, and maybe he'll have to be fined. Well, there are other things that have been mentioned to him in letters, like a suspension or a loss of draft picks. So the fact that an owner 
would poo-poo everything beyond a fine tells me he's probably one of the owners who is on board with Jerry. And if I had to guess, I'd say it's Dan Snyder. And I know that people don't like it when we speculate about sources, but I don't care. Because this is a case where the person shouldn't hide their name. If you're going to come out and say, we're not going to take away his franchise, come out and say it. All right, that's it. Let's see if we have any questions. And as always, as always, these are cold. And people say, oh, sure, they're cold. Sure, you, you, you read these beforehand. I'm telling you, I don't. I did the tweet during the show. I haven't even looked at it yet. I'm trying to recruit my son, who's going to be home for Thanksgiving break next week, to team me up for the topics and to read the Twitter questions without having any access by me to the Twitter questions, just so we can prove to you that I don't look at these in advance. Not that I'm giving you some great answers, but these are cold. That's my excuse if they suck. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to impress my friends. First of all, I don't have any. Second of all, I'm just trying to give you a built-in excuse in the event that these answers stink. And as I'm saying this, I'm like deliberately looking away from the computer screen, completely away from it. Of course, you can say I'm lying, but I'm telling you the truth. Now I'm going to turn my head to the left and cough and also read the, <laughs> read the questions. Did I mention we're frying a turkey tonight? I'm kind of nervous about that. Got a turkey fryer. 12-pound turkey. Didn't want to go too big. Don't want to start a fire, a conflagration down at the barn. Don't want to burn the barn down. Anyway, here we go. If the Browns go 0-16, do you think they stay in Cleveland? Come on, at Michael Dan. What kind of question is that? Of course they're staying in Cleveland. Where would they go? Where are they going? There may be some people in Cleveland that wish they would leave, but this isn't some kind of major league plot line where they're stinking as much as they can so they can go fill the void in St. Louis or London, the London Browns. At J Money P, where does Mike Francesa end up after WFAN? I, I don't know, don't care. The, I, this fascinates me because, look, I work with people who grew up in New York, like Matt Casey, the producer of PFT Live, and now the producer of Football Night in America. And, and there are people who, like, they've been listening to this guy for years, and oh, the sports pope, and... and they, they, they know he's not really all that good, but it, it becomes so ingrained in your routine. And like over the years, like since I've been paying attention, because I wasn't paying attention to WFAN and Mike Francesa. I used to listen to Don Imus when it was simulcast on MSNBC, but I'm not dialing up WFAN. New York sports aren't, aren't any more relevant to me than the sports in any other city. But just some of the dumb things that Francesa said and falling asleep on the air. And I know he's on for like, what? seven hours straight or something like that. But it, it, it has felt like an embarrassment at times over the, the past few years. And I, I don't know what he's going to do next. It isn't all that hard of a job. It really isn't. I don't know what else he does. But if all you're doing is talking on the radio for five hours a day or four hours a day or whatever it is, it's not all that hard. If you're keeping up with everything that you do, and I understand that when you're an all-sports host, you've got football and baseball and basketball and hockey and college sports, and it can probably be a little overwhelming. And a lot of times, a lot of times what happens is when somebody knows one sport really well, like I got a cousin who's a really big college basketball fan. There's one national host he was listening to, and he said, you know what? I could tell by listening to that show that that host doesn't really know college basketball and that host is saying just enough to sell it. And it makes me wonder, is that the same approach to every other sport? Has this person perfected the craft of figuring out how to say enough without really having an understanding, but putting together a show that's superficially entertaining and the substance, the lack of substance isn't really noticed. It's kind of 
It's kind of intriguing thought. And, and I don't listen to enough other radio to know. I, I've almost become, and this is the only thing I'll ever have in common with the greatest interviewer in the world, the greatest interviewer who ever lived, Howard Stern. Like him, I don't listen to anything else because I never want to be accused of picking up some bit or some phrase or some take from someone else, even though they'd still accuse me. At least I can say, I never listen. And then they can say, prove it. And I would say, I can't. Other than take my word for it, not that you ever would. That was a long friggin' answer to a fairly simple question. What are the chances the Browns have a perfect 0-16 season? That's from at TGIF Pooh Bear. I, look, I got to get the Browns schedule here. I had my record and fact book, but I don't know where it went. I know The only thing I know is stats didn't steal it because he acts like he hates the thing. I was intrigued by something I saw when I looked at the Browns schedule a couple of weeks ago. The Browns eventually play the Ravens again in Cleveland, and it will be nearly 10 years to the day, one day off of the 10-year anniversary of the Ravens helping the Dolphins avoid becoming the first team to go 0-16 because it was the Ravens who lost to the Dolphins, I think in overtime, in Miami, I believe, that gave Cam Cameron the one win that he carried into his termination after one year on the job. And that was when Tony Sperano, Bill Parcells, Jeff Ireland showed up for 2008. And also, Brian Billy got fired by the Ravens by losing. Well, look, they, they were in a bad season anyway, but it didn't help that they were the only team that lost to the Dolphins. So nearly 10 years to the day. Maybe that's the best chance. They've got the Jaguars at home. And, and I don't rule out the Jaguars, the bad Jaguars showing up, the, the, the beige helmet Jaguars instead of the black helmet Jaguars showing up on Sunday. I don't rule that out. The Tashawn Gibson comments like, why are you stirring up? Not that it's a hornet's nest, but it's a nest of something that can make your life miserable because you don't want to lose to the Browns. You don't want to be the first one to lose to the Browns and the second team to lose to the Browns since the start of last season. At the Bengals, who knows with the Bengals. At the Chargers, I'd like to think the Chargers win. Packers at home, even with Brett Hundley, I'd like to think the Packers win. The Ravens, December 17. And if they lose the next five, at Bears, at Steelers, unless the Steelers are just not playing for anything and shut down, who knows? Maybe they will be 0-16. At oh Henry 11 how's your fantasy team doing? Nobody cares. I think I'm 6-4 and four in both leagues. I think I'm 6-4 and four in both leagues. Which, eh, eh. I'm tied for first place in the divisions I'm in. Thanks for asking. I know you don't care. I barely care. Although I still make the moves every Wednesday. I don't put in waiver claims because I get pissed off if I don't get the guys I want. I just wait until all the waiver claims have been put in. So I know I'm getting the guy I want. Isn't that weird? Like instead of trying to get the guy that could really help me, I wait for everyone else to make their waivers claims because I hate having to wait to find out if I get the guy. That is so freaking stupid. Now that I think about it, like if somebody else told me that's how they handle waiver claims, I'd say, what in the hell is wrong with you? Just make your waiver claims, and then when it's all done, you can go get whoever you want. But I don't want to get disappointed that I don't get my first choice, so I'd rather go in once the waivers have cleared, and I know I instantly get the guy. I am screwed up in the head. Oh, well. <laughs> like, like there isn't other evidence of that. What else is going on here? At Uncommunicado, just in general, how is DFS growing and how many questions regarding fantasy do you get? Players, media, thoughts on DFS, DFS etc. I, I get a decent number of fantasy questions. Now, a, a lot of the questions I get aren't overtly fantasy, like who should I start? 
It's more, give me an update on Philip Rivers. That's the next question here. At Grant So Great wants to know about Philip Rivers. I think they're cautiously optimistic he's going to be able to play on Sunday. But the issue is completely out of the hands of coaches, trainers, etc. It's a doctor's call. DFS, I've seen some DraftKings promotions this year. I don't see FanDuel doing all that much. I get the impression that FanDuel has decided, for now, we've got our user base. We've got our customers. People who are going to play this game know about us. The saturation from a couple of years ago, you know, maybe five years from now they got to do it again. I don't know. But anybody out there who's inclined to play these games knows about it, and they're playing the games. And I think it's thriving within the confines that it had some serious challenges to the business model back in 2015 when they did the Coke and Pepsi thing and they pissed everybody off with the oversaturation of ads and they ended up getting the door slammed in their faces in a bunch of different states. But they they worked their way through the political process in a lot of these states and I think they're making plenty of money, not maybe as much as they'd like. And they're not dumping the money into the advertising the way they used to because I don't think they see the benefit from it because people know about the, the... the product they know about FanDuel and DraftKings and and they're either playing or they're not that's the mindset I think FanDuel has for DraftKings again they're still doing promotion they're still trying to add customers but I think that that uh, the the bigger challenge for both of these companies is to get the people who are playing to keep playing I think it's cheaper to do that than it is to go out and try to get new people who haven't already started to start at Dustin Lowe, Miller, why is Jarvis Landry not suspended? There's a video of him pushing a woman into a car. The only evidence for Zeke is an unreliable witness. And, and I saw the video. It's on TMZ. It's kind of grainy. And if it is Jarvis Landry, he did push a woman down into a car. And the NFL has already cleared Jarvis Landry. I, the, the thing is, the unreliable witness was believed by the NFL on some of the things that she said. On others, she wasn't. On some, she was. And I, I, I the problem I have with the NFL on this is the complete and total, and not complete and total, not complete and total, the lack of a fair ability to defend yourself. And you get painted with the scarlet letter of domestic abuse for the rest of your life. You lose God knows how much in endorsement money. Your employer is calling you a domestic abuser, all in the name of protecting the shield or the person who wears the shield most prominently on his lapel. All in the name of PR for the league and the commissioner. Because three years ago, the commissioner maybe spent a week or two worrying about losing his job and he's never going through that hell again, right? So we're going to suspend guys if there's any doubt and we're going to label them as domestic abusers and we're going to give them a crappy method for defending themselves. No opportunity to confront the witness, no access to the notes generated during the interviews and this weird process where we've seen the person who was in charge of the investigation, who believed that Zeke Elliott shouldn't be suspended, she was kept away from key meetings. I mean, it's a bad, bad, ugly mess. And I'm sure the NFL feels vindicated. But when you look at the bigger picture and the issues with Jerry Jones, I don't know if that's really vindication. And the NFL really needs to take a hard look at how it does its business when it comes to how it treats its players when they're accused of wrongdoing. Because the NFL's approach now seems to be throw the book at them and if we're wrong we're wrong at least the commissioner's not going to get fired over it and there's plenty more players where this one came from and think of how that affects think of how this is all lining up you know the cowboys deliver ratings like no one else but without ezekiel elliott doesn't that affect it in some incremental amount and you've got the cowboys on sunday night football 
against the Eagles. You've got the Cowboys on Thanksgiving against the Chargers. The following Thursday, the Cowboys on NBC against Washington. You've got the Cowboys against the Raiders on Sunday Night Football. He's going to miss all those games. So, and, and I'm not saying that we should excuse someone who has committed domestic violence, but there needs to be some device for giving these guys a fair shake before they're labeled domestic abusers. And I would like to see the accuser file a lawsuit against him so there is some sort of a formal structure for hashing this out where she has to testify to deposition. He has to testify to deposition. And then the lawyers question under oath all of the other witnesses out there who have submitted affidavits and statements and they piece together the objective evidence and they put it all in front of a jury. And they call their medical experts who claim that they can determine the legitimacy of a complaint of domestic violence based upon a photo, based upon the timestamp of the photo. Put that all out there for a jury to decide. Presided over by a judge. I would like to see that happen. And frankly, a couple of observations. Frankly, the fact that Tiffany Thompson hasn't sued Ezekiel, it makes me wonder whether she's concerned about... And, and, and see, this is where I get a little hesitant because you don't, you don't want people who have actually been the victims of domestic violence to not report it. And you don't want to chill that by putting them through the ringer of the legal process. And I'd like to think that the lawyers, although I know how it goes, I'd like to think the lawyers would be respectful, but the defense lawyer playbook in civil cases is to make life as miserable as possible for the person who dares sue their client, regardless of what the claim is. I lived that for the better part of 18 years. If you sue a big company, you get ready to have your life turned upside down because the more unpleasant they can make the process, the sooner you take the piddly little settlement offer and go away. I've seen that time and again. It's a hard, stressful thing to constantly have this hanging over you for weeks, months, years. But, but that said, there needs to be some system for testing these allegations. You don't label a guy a domestic abuser without giving him a fair chance to defend himself for crying out loud. So anyway, and here's the other thing too. I don't know what settlement discussions, if any, ever happened between Ezekiel Elliott and Tiffany Thompson, but he's losing nearly $600,000 based upon his six-game suspension. I'd like to think that at some point in this process, somebody had the presence of mind to say, let's approach her and let's offer her a significant amount of money as justice for whatever it was she went through and let's get an agreement from her that she will not cooperate with anyone other than the appropriate authorities who give her a subpoena. And you can do that. You can enter into an agreement where she would have said, I'm not cooperating at all with the NFL. Then what's the NFL going to do to the guy? You know, I, I kind of thought of that before, and I know it's unseemly, and I think that's what happened with Ben Roethlisberger in Georgia seven years ago, that people got pissed at me for pointing that out, but it all went away too quickly, right? Isn't that what ultimately happened with Kobe Bryant? Didn't he ultimately settle? See, justice comes in many shapes and sizes. That happened with... Greg Hardy and his victim, he settled the case. And I know that people say, oh, it paid her off. Well, that's how it works sometimes. And sometimes the legal system, you know, if, if you get justice in that form and you're fine with it and it resolves the complaint, so be it. But that's why Greg Hardy never faced jail. His accuser didn't show up. 
because they reportedly reached a settlement and she took off. And that's fine. She had the right to do it. I remember when we wrote about that. Oh, you're accusing her of her wrongdoing. No, that's the way it works. It's a business transaction. So in hindsight, and, and you know what? I'd probably write this at PFT if there's a way to write it without having people jump my shit. Because that's entirely possible. Because it's hard to articulate this as a pure business transaction. But in hindsight, setting aside liability, and you put language in the document saying we deny all allegations. That's a standard term. I know every once in a while there'll be the settlement of a lawsuit. People are like, oh, they denied any and all allegations or whatever. There's no admission of liability. That's standard. It's standard. No admission of liability and an agreement not to cooperate short of a subpoena by the appropriate legal authority and a large payment of money and it's for personal injury so it wouldn't be taxable, which is big. And maybe this all goes away for $200,000 if you jump on it early. Maybe it goes away for 150000 it depends on, see, because here's the problem. If she didn't have her own lawyer, and I've seen no indication that she has a lawyer. If she didn't have her own lawyer, she'd go get one. And the question is, does that lawyer see an opportunity to leverage a much bigger payday? Now, moving forward, I think the lawyer would because you point to Ezekiel Elliott and say, well, this is worth a hell of a lot more than $600,000. We're going to turn your life upside down with this case. See, it's not just about getting justice. It becomes a business transaction. What is this asset worth? This lawsuit that I can file against you. The fact that I can go cooperate with the NFL when there's no subpoena power. They can't make me cooperate, but I can choose to. What value does that have? And I know it's unseemly. It feels like extortion. It feels like it's wrong. It's not. Plenty of disputes get resolved that way all the time. All right, I'm saying a lot here. Let's see if there's any other questions to answer at Max Lax 41, is it time for the Giants and Jets to start their young quarterbacks? No to the Giants. No, wait. Yes to the Giants. No to the Jets. Put Davis Webb out there. Find out what he has or doesn't has so you know what you do next year with that high first round pick. With the Jets, keep it rolling with our good friend Josh McCown. At Bust the Driver 69, will Marvin Lewis, nice, will Marvin Lewis survive another year? I think he's going to be done unless Mike Brown realizes there's no one else out there he wants to hire and Marvin Lewis realizes there's nowhere else he wants to go. That happened a few years ago when his contract expired. I don't rule that out happening again. At I am Carl Thomas, three reasons why Goodell keeps his job, three reasons why he does not. Thank you. Uh, let, me, let me put a pin in that one. Maybe I'll do that one tomorrow. I'm leaving a little earlier tomorrow than usual, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna copy and paste that one. Maybe we'll address that tomorrow. At JTF18 James, why are more owners not on Jerry's side and calling out the Roger? His is the definition of an empty suit. Look, there are plenty of people who believe, both within and outside the NFL, that what is the harm in change at this point? What does it hurt? The problem is, and it's like getting rid of a quarterback. Okay, hey, our quarterback stinks. Let's get rid of him. All right, who's going to take his place? Who takes Roger Goodell's place and does what the NFL wants him to do, but also runs the league in a proper manner? I mean, one of the biggest jobs is to try to build consensus and keep consensus among 32 different owners. Relationship with the owners. That's your primary constituency. And I remember back during the lockout, they were selling this idea that he's the commissioner for all aspects of football all players all coaches every level but baloney he works for the 32 owners period and if you get rid of him you need somebody else who won't freak out under the weight of the obligation of answering to 32 billionaires on a regular basis uh what else do we have here 
at Travis One Wolf, do you see enough improvement from Brett Hundley to possibly make the playoffs? We talked about that earlier. I think they can win enough games, so if Rodgers comes back late in the year, maybe they can get there. I don't think they can get there without Aaron Rodgers. But they can hold hold it together based on their schedule to have a chance if Rodgers can come back for the last two or three games. All right, that's it. I, it's about 45 minutes. It's longer than I'd care to go just because I don't want to bog you down with more crap than you already have to deal with. Thank you if you've made it this far. And as always, rate the podcast, review the podcast, and subscribe to PFT PM, PFT Live, back Friday morning, a full breakdown of the Thursday night game. I'm looking forward to the SkyCam coverage. I'm looking forward to the Titans and the Steelers. I think the Steelers are going to be very aggressive with Marcus Mariota. I remembered what they did five years ago with Robert Griffin III, and I think that they're going to be facing some of the same thing, which requires, I think, Taylor Lewan to be very physical and other linemen to be very physical with the Steelers players who are going to be physical with Mariota. That's it for now. See you tomorrow. Have a good evening. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.